Open up to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Alex will get you one. As we're continuing our series, it feels funny up here. I feel like I'm going to fall. Um, <laughs> as we're continuing our series, Under the Sun, we're almost done. We have a couple more uh, studies in the book of Ecclesiastes before we go into a small series that I'm going to do called Internal Government. Um, internal Government, just so if you think it's a political thing, it's not. Uh, but as we've been going through this book, we have been dealing with a lot of questions, I think, that we all have. Last week, we spoke about what... Solomon saw as an incredible example of wisdom. And coming from Solomon, that's quite a feat. He spoke about a poor man who lived in a small town and yet had great influence. And a lot of times our idea of what wisdom is, maybe you've heard wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge you have, but really it is so much more. Even today, this morning, as we're going to be talking about uh, just having ability and being able to do things with skill, that is a part of wisdom. And last week, this poor man who made a great impact, an impact that was greater than his life, was again an example of wisdom. And we talked about how we have been called to live lives that are greater than perhaps we think. Perhaps we see ourselves as poor and in a small town, not really able to do much, but we can do much. We, we saw how Jesus has called us to be the light of the world, and that is kind of his calling for each of us. And we might say, well, I can't live that way. I, I, that's too big for me. And I, I would ask us, who do we want to win that conversation do we want to win and say, no, Jesus, I can't do it? Or do we want Jesus to win that conversation and actually pull us to be someone greater than we are? And we're going to kind of continue that. We're only going to talk about three verses today, starting in verse 8. Again, chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, verse 8. Solomon writes, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now, when you read this, at face value, you might read this and say, yeah, so, or duh. You know, it's not like, what's going on here? What's so powerful about this? And at face value, again, it might strike us as being just kind of obvious to some degree, but I believe the things that are being brought to bear here are timeless. I think they are really something that we can uh, hopefully connect to that will empower our lives to, even as we spoke about last week, be greater than what we might think they might be. The first few verses, Solomon talks just about life happens. There are things that we don't have control of that are beyond our ability to foresee and to know. And whoever digs a pit 
might fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Now, I know that might not be real relevant to us here, but at that time in dealing in their environment, that was. Or whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. And what Solomon is saying is that to build something is going to put you in possible risk. If you are going to build, there is the possibility of harm befalling you. And that's true in just the constructional aspect. If you're going to be building something, something's going to happen. When I was working construction, I was always having something happen to me. You know, you hit your hand with a pipe, you know, something, your fingers get smashed. There was one guy we used to work with, and he always bumped his head. He had a permanent <laughs> dent in his head because he was always walking into things. He just bong, you know, he'd, oh, there's Bob, you know, ring a bell, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's just the dangers of some kinds of things happening. But what, what happens if we are so consumed with the possibility of risk and we do nothing? We risk nothing. We chance nothing. And our lives basically go nowhere. And let's face it. There are things that are scary. I'm not just talking about construction. I'm talking about living life. Things that we do that endanger us. What about love? That's a real risk. What if they don't love me back? What if they betray my trust? What if my heart is broken? What if they leave me? What if I'm not able to meet their desires and requirements? And there's a risk. But it's better to have loved and lost than to not love at all. You know, I, I joke about my children often. It's only fair for what they've put me through. <laughs> and there's been some just difficult things that we've gone through, but I can honestly say I, I could not imagine my life without them. They've enriched me in ways as a human being that I never would have experienced unless I've gone through those difficulties. And sometimes going through those difficulties is just a part of the growing experience of actually building something. And so what are we going to do with our lives? Are we going to be afraid to step out and try and reach for more, try and build something more, and because of our fear of what can happen, I'm not qualified, I can't do those things, I don't have those things, I don't have what it takes to, to make those things happen, I just can't do it. And so we do nothing, and our lives go nowhere. And you see, unless we're willing to risk getting hurt or bit by a snake or, you know, injured by rocks or having split logs, things we can all relate to, unless we're willing to risk those things, we will not push through and actually build a life. And I, I find this happens very often. I went through uh, 
a conference recently. It was called Breakthrough, and there was one interesting thing that they did. There was a group of 44 of us, and I'll try and explain briefly an impact that they had. And these 44 people, we all had to, to come to an agreement regarding homework that was assigned to us. And it was a lot of homework. We didn't get home until about 11.30 in the evening, and then we had to write about four pages of homework. And one of the things that we had to do was write five, or 10 promises that you have broken to someone. And then you had to write 10 promises that someone has broken to you. Now, at first thought, you're thinking at 11.30, actually after the four pages, it's more like 12.30 at night, and I've got to be back there at 9 o'clock in the morning. And so I'm thinking, 10, 10 things. Oh, oh yeah, 10 things. What am I going to do? And I just kind of zoned out. And so writing them, you know, it was like, okay, what can I think of? Uh, and I'm filling out, and I filled out all 10 because they kept saying, it's imperative you finish the homework. If you don't finish this, we can't move on with the training. And so I knew something was up because they were using this. And they gave us a lot on purpose. I'm, this is how I'm thinking. And so I put down 10 things, like I forgot to bring my wife coffee the other day. You know, just, and there were bigger ones too. That's not the only promise I broke. And so finish that. And then we get there and there's 44 of us. And then the leader says, how many people did not complete their homework? And about seven people raised their hand. He goes, okay, we cannot continue this training because you'd made a promise to complete your homework. We cannot finish the training until all of you agree to the time that's going to be needed for the homework to be completed. It has to be unanimous and you have to pick a spokesperson who will come and talk to me about that. We're all like, uh, and I'm like, I knew it. I knew this was, you know, I'm, and so I'm thinking, okay, easy fix, you know, and I voice up because I do that. And so uh, I voice up and I said, okay, who needs how much homework done? And one of the guys was actually my buddy who I was responsible for. And I was like, hey, buddy, um, how much time do you need to finish your homework? And he says, oh, about half hour. Are you sure? Half hour? Yeah. Anyone need more time? No, I think half hour. Okay, well, how about half hour? And this other guy's kind of stepping in. And he goes, well, is everyone, let's go around. Everyone check. Oh, yeah, half hour, half hour. Blah, blah. And then this girl speaks up. She goes, I think we should talk about if our homework is done adequately or not. And I'm like, I don't think we should, you know. <laughs> I think this is what we want, this is what we do. And so then the whole thing goes to another direction, and I, at this time I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm not going to step any further. I'll just kind of let this go. And this guy's taking and then so it went on. And so they said, okay, well, you know, how much time do you need to do blah, 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 blah. Why do we need to do this? Come on. And I'm like, you guys, you realize this is the training, right? This is what's happening right now is part of the training. You, you understand that, right? I just want to make that clear because... This is the training. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go on. 45 minutes later, I'm like, the homework could have been done by now. You know, okay. 45 minutes later, the guy goes up and he says, okay, you're the spokesperson. Go up there and you tell. Yeah, we've decided that um, 40, uh, we want a half hour. And he says, is it unanimous? He goes, I think so. Were there any people who abstained? He goes, I don't know. Well, you need to go check. And the guy's in the room. He's right there, you know, listening to all this. In fact, they're typing down all the things we're saying and stuff. And so he goes back and goes, is everyone unanimous? Anyone abstain? And this one girl abstained. And so he goes, well, there's one abstain. He goes, I don't accept your negotiation then. So he goes back and goes, come on, guys. And so we go back and forth. Oh, how much time do you need? Why do you need to do this over? Why do we have to talk about it? We should get with our buddies and talk to them more about this. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, he says another, you know, 
40 minutes goes by, and we finally go up there, and he says, okay, we've agreed to 30 minutes, and it's unanimous. He goes, okay. He says, if it's not completed in a half hour, are you and your wife willing to leave the training? And the guy stops, and he goes, no. And he says, well, I don't accept your negotiation then. And he comes back, and all of us are watching him, right? And they're, dude, what's up? Why wouldn't you do it? We're going to do this. He goes, because, you know, I paid for this seminar, and I don't want to go home, and blah, blah. And so they got in, and we went out again. Well, let's find out how much time do you need to be sure. And all that's happening right now, this one guy comes up and goes, okay, you guys, tell me what you're feeling right now. And he's writing on this whiteboard, and it's like frustration, anger, ticked off, you know, and all these things are coming up, just like, okay, I just wanted to see what was going on with you guys. So we hassle it out another 20 minutes or something. Finally, the guy says, okay, I'm willing. Are you guys sure you can get it done? Yeah, my wife and I will go home if they're not done with their homework. So he goes back up there, and he says, okay, my wife and I are willing to go home. It's unanimous. He goes, okay. And he walks in to the group, and he says, how many of you are willing to go home and not complete the training if the homework isn't done by these seven people. And so a bunch of us stand up. How many aren't? About five people stand up. And he goes, I don't accept your offer. And he walks back out. <laughs> <laughs> so now tensions go up. What's the deal, guys? I'm putting myself on the line. You don't put yourself on the line. 44 people back and forth, back and forth, going on and again. Now they start talking and say, okay, you guys, what's happening here is we're trying to be committed to each other, trying to grow, trying to develop as people. Realize that if you fail, I fail, that we need to actually care about these things. And so we need to be able to band together, be committed together, and understand that this is how it works. After another 45 minutes, a lot of people start really opening up and saying, okay, I'm committed. We're committed to each other. We're committed to seeing this through. We're going to make it happen. And finally, they go up there, and during this time, the guy comes back in here, and he says, okay, which one of you, we're all unanimous, we're going we're gonna to do this, and we're going to take a half hour. The guy comes back in in the group, and he says, which of you guys didn't stand up? And this one guy stands up, and he goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? wasn't me. I was like, so glad. He goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, so you were willing to let this guy go home, but you weren't willing to sacrifice yourself to go home? What a hypocrite. Yeah, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and he just kind of talked to us about the commitment it takes to see someone else pull through. That it's not just a matter of if you pull through, you need to invest, but it's vulnerable. And so after about two and a half hours, they come back and they go, okay, now I want you guys to tell me what you're going through. What are you experiencing right now? And they write forgiveness, peace, um, communication. And the board looked completely opposite. On this side was anger, frustration. On this side was forgiveness, uh, communication. But you see, to get to the communication, to get to the forgiveness, we had to go through the frustration. We had to go through the anger. And if you aren't willing to build your life because you're afraid of the cost, you're not willing to invest yourself because you want to stay in your little bubble, nothing's going to be built. Your life won't be built. And you're the one who's going to miss out. 
there's a risk. We don't know what life holds for us. But if you do nothing, you will get nothing. And so to move forward, we have to be willing to step into it. Jesus said you need to be willing to count the cost. No man starts to build something without first taking account of what's going to happen. It's going to cost you something to live a life that produces something. Which brings us to the next portion. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now, this is something, again, we can all relate to because we're all lumberjacks, you know, and we all have that kind of, you know, background. We have flannel shirts somewhere in our closet. And I'm not going to say anything, Michael. Um, and the beard. Uh, but you see, this is really one of those timeless pieces of advice. You can either work harder or you can work smarter. And the picture here is kind of like this little lumberjack competition. I know every now and then they have those things and I get locked into one on ESPN, you know, where they have the lumberjack guys and they are the burly guys and the guy's like six foot two and he's 180 pounds, all muscle and he's got this axe and he's sitting there and they get on this big log and they just start chopping this log and these two guys are going at it, boom, 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 boom and they're competing with each other to see who can cut through the log first and so the competition begins and these guys are going at it and they're, you know, pound for pound, muscle for muscle, it's just equal, the logs are the same diameter, they're going at it and you see them just hacking away, boom, going, 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 all of a sudden one of the guys stops. He walks over and you're thinking, what happened? Did he quit? What, what's going on with that? And then you hear this metal grinding on metals. He starts sharpening his axe. And the other guy sees that he's left, so he's just going to town. This is his chance. He's going to make it happen. And he's just going, 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 going. And he's working. He's breaking out in a sweat. And he's ahead now. He's way ahead. And as he comes back, the other guy comes back and he starts coming in with his axe. And now every cut starts making a deeper and deeper cut. And he's working just as hard as the other guy, but he's actually doing a lot more. And now he passes the other guy up and he comes through and he wins because he took time to hone his skill so that he could move further. I think we live lives of frantic desperation sometimes. We are just doing what we need to do and we never stop to sharpen the axe of our life. We never take time to stop and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing or am I just doing because I need to do something? And maybe you're in a job and how did you get to that job? Well, it was a job that opened up to me 12 years ago, and it's been a good job. Have you ever thought of doing something else? Well, I did at one time, but now the economy's bad, and I'm not sure, so I'm, this is kind of where I'm at. And you're living a life that is being kind of fed to you, but not a life that you're creating. And I think a lot of us do that. And it's not uncommon for different periods of our life for us to go through changes. Changes in what 
our vocation is, changes in how we move forward. And, and you see, when I say something like, are you doing what God has created you to do? What immediately comes to our minds usually is vocation. I should be a nurse. I should be a social worker. I should be a teacher. Those are all good things. That would help someone else. But you see, it's not about vocation. It's not about the job. It's about the influence your life has. You see, I'm sure glad that there are people who have become mechanics. Aren't you? Especially right now, because our car is broken. I'm sure glad that there are people who do custodial work. I'm sure glad that there are people who do all these different vocations. We need them all. It's not about a job. It's about your life's influence. It's about you doing what you are created to do and how that looks. There was a, a period in my life, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be using myself as an example here for a bit. There was a time where I was involved with Christian ministry. I was involved for years. In fact, most of my life has been involved to some degree, but I was for seven years on paid staff working, and there came a point where I had to stop and say, you know what, I'm putting in 60 hours a week some weeks and I just don't feel like I am where I need to be. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I remember specifically at a time when there was a devotion and I was at a worship conference when there was a passage of Scripture in Joshua 3, 5 where I really felt God ministering to my heart and telling me, you need to do something more. And I was struggling, I'm having this battle. More? I'm doing 60 hours a week. What more do you want from me that my wife will leave me? She won't have to. I won't be home. You know, <laughs> I won't be there. What more? And it was just, this isn't where you need to be. And it resonated with me because I was becoming just very dissatisfied. I wasn't affecting people the way I wanted to. I, I felt stagnant. I felt like I was against a wall and this was all I was doing and I couldn't live like this. And through a series of events, it's almost as if God pushed me out of the nest and said, you need to start over. It wasn't fun, bless you. It wasn't fun, but it was necessary. I had to take time away from the chopping, the chopping, the chopping. I needed to sharpen the axe of my life and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I living a life that is producing what I'm supposed to be producing? And maybe you just need to take time and pause and step back and say, is this what I'm supposed to do? Now, you have to pay the bills. You have to do all those things. It's not about vocation. In fact, God can take a vocation and make it something different. We talked about that about a month ago when we talked about working for money or working for meaning, that a lot of people just work for money when they really need to be working for meaning and purpose 
and then the money is a part of just the provision. But that can be anything. And that's what happened with me. I remember during this process while I was just laboring, okay, now I'm, I'm no longer in ministry, but I'm wanting to serve God. And I'm thinking, okay, God, I wanted to serve you more. You told me in, I needed to do more for you, but now I'm out of ministry. How is that more? And I started learning how to train dogs because I needed to provide work for myself. And so I started doing that. And I went to a friend and pastor. He said, you know what? You need to stop doing anything for about a month. And you need to see what God wants you to do. You need to just take a little time out. You've got a little bit of money coming in before you just keep doing. Because I was driving up to Sacramento thinking about taking over a church in the Napa area. And every other weekend I was driving or flying up there and I was just running myself ragged thinking, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And when I finally just settled down, I said, I think Napa is beautiful. It is the most beautiful places in the world. And this place, St. Helena, just north there, is just gorgeous. That's where the church was. But it's a small town, it's a quiet town, it's a slow pace, and I just wasn't feeling this. I just felt like someone was going to start whistling the Mayberry RF, you know, the Mayberry <laughs> song, you know. I just felt like I'm going to go there and retire. And it's not what I wanted, and I, I told my friend, and pastor who was letting me just look at that position. I said, I can't do this. This isn't for me. And that happened during that month when I just stopped and said, that's, that's not for me. It's not where I want to go. And so I continued the training. And that's when basically led to Genesis starting up. But not only are we supposed to be doing what God has called us to do, we're supposed to do it in the way that God wants us to do it. And you see, this is what I think is the hardest part, and this is where our lives really need to be sharpened because we think it's about what we do. And I really think more importantly than what we do is how we do what we do. You see, I don't think God is as concerned whether you become a mechanic or a teacher as he is that you become a good mechanic or a good teacher. Because you and I know that there, I always pick on teachers, but because I had some bad ones, okay? You and I know that there are teachers that should not be teaching. So the teaching isn't what gives you the purpose. It's what you bring to it. I had teachers who were incredible, who motivated me, who inspired me who challenged me, who pushed me forward. And I had teachers who I just, well, I, I just ditched. <laughs> and I'm not recommending that for any of you who are still in cool school, but that's just what I did. Because I don't care for them. I don't like them. They don't like me. Maybe it was my fault. But they weren't connecting to me. And it's not about what you're doing as it's about how you're doing what you're doing. Because if you do whatever it is you're doing in a way that is right, it is going to have influence. 
this last um, Friday, I had a lesson in Mission Viejo, dog training lesson. Went there working with the person, and this person was recommended to me by a neighbor whose dog I trained. And so there I am, I'm working with them outside, working with their dog, and all of a sudden the man comes out who I trained his dog, his dog's name is Hennessy. I don't know if his daughter named the dog from the band or the liquor, I don't know. But anyway, the dog is out there and the man's up there and he goes, Sam! This older gentleman, he's probably in his 70s, he comes up to me, Sam! And he comes up and gives me a hug and I only remembered the dog's name. I couldn't remember his name. Hey, how's Hennessy? You know, I don't know. And so he says, hey, when you're done, come over. Come over. I'll fix you something to eat. Come on over. And I said, well, I'll be over when I'm done here and we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, I need some help. Hennessy's doing some stuff. Okay. And so I finish and I go over there and I sat down. I said, no, I'm really not ready to eat, thank you, because his wife wasn't home. She cooks, and he just makes things in the microwave. So, <laughs> but I sat down and had a Coke with him and sat and worked with Hennessy a little bit and talked with him and was able to just talk with him and develop just, again, friendship. And there's more people he's talking to. He's my greatest advertiser. He's giving my card out to people. And I said, well, I'll definitely be back and we can sit down and talk some more. And you see, what God has done, and I've shared this before, has taken what dog training was, was just, oh, it's about dogs, it's a way to make a living, to now it being a way where I can actually connect with people. People love me. Because <laughs> I help them with their dogs. And I love that. I love that I can have a position in a place to speak into people's lives and to become friends. And you see, now it's not about just being a dog trainer. It's about being a good one who really cares about the people. And so it's not the vocation. It's how you do what you do that brings the meaning into it. So are you doing what God has called you to do, and are you doing it in a way that God has called you to do it? Because that's how we move forward in these things and we have influence now on people's lives which brings us to the last portion is not only are you doing what God has called to do are you doing it the way God has called to doing called you to do it but are you allowing God to be a part of what he has called you to do in other words is he with you is this something now that has become purposeful because God is influencing you and allowing you to be an influence to other people. You see, I don't come here Sunday mornings to give you some speech about how to just make your life better. I, I'm not here to be a motivational speaker, and I hope everyone leaves here thinking, yes, I can, yes, I can. What, what my desire is, what, what gets me up, what brings me here, which what made this Genesis all start to take place was because my biggest desire is for you to connect to the God who created you. It's what moves me in everything that I do, including my dog training. I want God to be a part of whatever I do. And I don't have to make up a reason to do this. 
I just need to allow God to be a part of the things that I do. And that's what our desire is, is to be connected to God as we do these things, as we're a part of these things. God desires us to have this influence in others, other people's lives. It's not a matter of you just being talented and able to do something. It's how you use that talent. It's how you take what's been given to you and put it into practice. Not everyone who's six foot nine can slam dunk. It takes practice. It takes effort. They hone their skills so that they can do the job. What is your job? Not your vocation. What is your life's job? We know that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, that we are to get people to connect them to God. See, and, and that's why we've gone through things with you like the strength finders, how we've tried to give tools to you while we've gone through the Crave series, things that will be helpful to you to be able to connect to people and to help connect those people to God. Because whatever it is you do, there's a meaning behind it that's deeper. There's a purpose behind the things that we do. And so, are you doing what you're supposed to do? Are you doing it in the way that you're supposed to do it? And are you doing what you were created to do with the one who's created you? This not only transforms you if you allow God to be a part of your life, it transforms those around you. And again, you guys know what that's like. I had a teacher in 12th grade, my senior year at Glendora High School. The man impacted my life. And you know what? He wasn't even my teacher. He was a follower of Christ, and he just loved the kids. And he had open, honest conversation with the kids. He opened up his classroom for us to go and meet. We started a Bible study there. And he engaged us, he challenged us in our faith. And he had an impact on my life. He was a teacher, but he was not more than that. Because he brought the creator into his vocation and influenced us in a way that wasn't preachy, it wasn't strange, and it wasn't against any of the school problems or problems that could come with the school. And what happened is... It transformed those around him. Your life can transform not only you, but those around you if you bring God into the work that you're doing. Not just the vocation, but the deeper work of who you are and how you do what you do. And we really need to stop compartmentalizing our faith. Faith is something that I do when I go to church, but when I dog train, I just do dog training. I take the Lord with me when I do dog training, when you do teaching, when you work on cars, when you do landscape, when you work in the ER, when you work in the factory. It's a part of who you are, and it will change how you do things 
and it will change those around you. And it will have an influence on the world around you for good. And, and so I think what some of us need to do is we need to pause. We need to take time to think, to sharpen our lives and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? See, there might be a change right where you're at. There was for me. There was a change while I was dog training. I was told by a pastor friend of mine, you can't be a dog trainer. You're supposed to be a pastor. I was like, yeah, I know. Can't do that. And I had to pause and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? And God said, I want to use you as a dog trainer. You can still be a pastor. It has nothing to do with dog is God spelled backwards. <laughs> really, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with I'm able to have influence on people where I'm at. And that's really what I want. It's something I now desire to develop. And so the change took place in me. I took time, sharpened the axe, asked, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And God, are you with me as I'm doing it? Maybe you need to pause and ask those questions so that your life is not just frantic doing things. But you allow the pause to hone your skills. Because he says, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. Some of your lives are just running out of energy. It's all you can do to get through, and you're going to burn out. You're living life and you're working as hard as you can, but you need to sharpen the edge so that you don't need that strength. And then what you do is you invite the Lord to be a part of your strength. But skill will bring success. And again, this is a part of wisdom. This is, again, a definition of wisdom is having your life have purpose, have skill, and taking time. You see, it's not rewarding. No one, no one appreciates you when you stop and sharpen the axe. No one goes, all right, sharpen that axe, good job. No, it's when you're working hard, you're working hard, yeah, oh, good job working hard. That's how it was for me. It's like, oh, I'm doing this for you, God, I'm doing this for you. Everyone's, yeah, that's it. Keep working, keep working. And then I stop, and it's like, what are you doing? I need to stop. I need to, I need to take account what's going on around me. I, I need to see if this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. And God will interrupt you in the most inconvenient ways, most disturbing ways, to help you see. Maybe you're too comfortable where you're at. Maybe you've gotten lazy. Maybe he needs to push you out of the nest. Say, you can fly. You just got comfortable inside the nest. Sharpen your life. Ask yourself, am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I doing it the way God wants me to do it? And is God with me while I'm doing it? Let's pray.
Lord, this seems like such easy words, such obvious things, but I believe there's so much depth. How many times do we live lives that are unsharpened, that are dull? How many times are we doing things and the way we're doing them is just missing the mark? How many times have we separated ourselves from you in these areas of our life? And pretty soon again, we're working for money and not for meaning. And God, you are able to bring meaning to anything we do. And I pray that we would take that time, pause, that we would review our lives and look and see what's happening within us. What is our goal? Are, are we just trying to make ends meet? Are we trying to impact the world? And again, if we're thinking, I can't impact the world, I'm just a dog trainer, I'm just a mechanic, I just work in this shop. Who do we want to win this conversation? You or us? If you say we can have influence, maybe we need to stop and see how can we have influence. If you saying that we can make a difference, then we need to stop and ask ourselves, how can I make that difference? Am I doing what I need to to make that difference? And God, we can't be afraid to build. We can't be af afraid to split the logs, to tear down the wall, to quarry the rocks, even though it's dangerous. If we want to build our lives, we need to step into the work and move forward. And I pray that you would give us courage to do so. Give us a vision to see that you have so much more for us that we can actually affect the world around us for the good, for you. If we will take the time, sharpen our axe, and move forward in the skills that you've given us. Help us to do so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.